Welcome to the Over What Hill 40 Plus Podcast, where we talk about everything that you can do to stay healthy, feel great, and live life to your fullest over 40. All right, so we have Alan Reisinger on this episode. Alan, you are a doctor. Uh, internal medicine, yep. Internal medicine. What does that mean? Um, an internist, uh, somebody who does not do operations, doesn't deliver babies, doesn't take care of kids, typically takes care of any uh, medical issues having to do with adults, and uh, in my case, focuses on prevention. Okay. All right. So one of the things that um, we hear a lot about, especially as people get older, is diabetes. We hear about cardiovascular disease strokes, uh, all these different things that people have to be concerned with. And I think probably the most common thing that I see as a gym owner is people coming to us that diabetes is really the number one thing that people are afraid of. Yeah. Um, You know, then we hear about, oh, my cholesterol is high and, oh, my doctor says I need to lose weight and uh, all these different things. Um, You've been a doctor for how long? Uh, Over 35 years now. Okay. And you have a practice in Catonsville. Yeah, I have a, uh, a practice uh, in the heart of Catonsville. Been there my entire career. Right. right. So you've seen all of that. Yeah, absolutely. Right? So you've been around long enough <laughs> to oh, yeah. see pretty much from A to Z of all the different things that right. people see as you get older. You have a clientele that's mostly over 40. Um, I would say more than 50% of my, my population is over 40. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Um, what are some of the things statistically that make diabetes so diabetes heart disease all these different things that we talk about yeah. people worrying about right like how bad is that really like in in the world in the u.s yeah. let's say well i mean if you just talk about this country um you know the reason you mentioned those things is that they're what's on everybody's mind that heart disease heart attacks are the number one killer in this country have been for decades mm-hmm. uh, strokes are the number one cause of disability um that said that over 38 percent of us have got cardiovascular disease and about 50 percent of those folks are under the age of 60 okay. and uh, it is diabetes is becoming the epidemic of the century right um you, you look at a map Uh, of the incidence of diabetes since the 1950s and it looks like somebody knocked a red inkwell over on the map of the united states Uh, just spreading like crazy yeah and they're getting younger and younger people that are getting yeah i mean the kids are getting adolescent and and infant or not infant but young kids oh yeah the um, obesity and absolutely the statistic the latest statistic well this is not even that late a few years as of a few years back they were saying that the next generation coming up will be the first generation in American history to die younger than their parents. And oh, we wow. think that diabetes is going to be the main reason the main behind reason that. that. That's yeah. crazy. Okay. I mean, you, you line 10 people up against the wall who've had a heart attack, close your eyes, count to seven, and whether they know it or not, or whether their doctor knows it or not, at least 70% of those, those folks will have either diabetes or prediabetes, which we also call insulin resistance. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is just the, the, the number one cause of cardiovascular disease. Wow. And a lot of people don't make that correlation because you just said yeah. diabetes, cardiovascular in the same sentence. Yeah. Right? A lot of people don't make the correlation that insulin and diabetes play into the cardiovascular issues. So that's yeah. heart attack, stroke. Right. All those other types of Everything things. Everything peripheral vascular disease, right. losing toes, losing feet, losing kidneys, yeah. and losing your brain. You know, we, we, Alzheimer's. Uh, Alzheimer's, and, dementia, yeah. sure. Yeah, okay. absolutely. Wow. So how 50 years, 
60 years now, right? Yeah. Ish. We talked about the, the, you know, what it was in the 50s versus right. what it is now. What has changed in the medical field? Um, has it gotten better hmm. in identifying these things? Has it gotten worse? Has anything changed? Yeah. From my experience and the things that I've been reading and, and trying to get caught up on lately, um, it seems like not much has changed. Right. Right. We have more information, but the processes and things have stayed the same. Is that true? I think that's a pretty accurate assessment, Bronson. It, uh, you know, the, the crime of this is that, and I, listen, I, I'm an internist. My, my motto is better living through chemistry. You got a problem, I got a prescription. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm a big utilizer of prescription medications, and sure. there's just tremendous benefit. Uh, where we have advanced very significantly and very impressively is in the pharmaceutical industry. I mean, we have so many new types of diabetes, uh, anti-diabetes medications, right. um, things that work in miraculous ways that we had never even thought about 30 years ago. The problem is that nobody with type 2 diabetes, you know, the, the, not the kind the kids have where the pancreas doesn't work and, sure. and you have to have insulin to live, but right. the type 2 that's more commonly associated, not always, but more commonly associated with overweight, sedentary. Mm-hmm. You know, type 2 diabetes is not a deficiency of pills. Um, right. it, it is a choice of you know, what we've put in our mouths. It, it certainly has to do with the food industry mm-hmm. and what's going on with high fructose corn syrup and all of the additives and processed right. food and just the, the, the high density calories that are available today you know it has to do with our lifestyle Um, Mm -hmm. you know people are much more sedentary watching television and playing video games Um, so you know we've we've advanced in our treatment but we haven't really been able to focus on the root causes you said something that kind of triggered something in my brain Um, you said that type 2 diabetes is a decision yeah and I think going back to the 50 years ago Type 2, I, I would say, and correct me if I'm wrong, type 2 diabetes today is a decision of not taking action. Yeah. Where type 2 diabetes in the 50s was a decision. Sorry. Now it's a, it's a decision to take action, to get off the couch, to do something. Oh. But in the 50s, if you had type 2 diabetes because you were overweight, weren't eating right, it was more of a decision to not do something because you, your lifestyle, the way we lived then, was more active. Yeah. Right. So in the 50s and the 40s, we were doing stuff. We were out. We were we didn't have the technology to sit on the couch all day long. We didn't have all that stuff we had to do. Um, And now we don't have to do. So we have to make a decision because doing is extra. Sure, we have to make a decision to go out and find healthier foods. It's it's more work to cook the healthier yep. stuff, and yep. you got to make decision to get off your butt and, and do yeah. some exercise and, and and watch your waistline. That's crazy. Yeah, that's crazy. And then the things that we look for now, um, you talked about pharmaceuticals and the advances we made there. Mm-hmm. Um, we've made a ton of advances nutritionally with the right. the, the studies and the the information we've learned about what really is good for you and what isn't good for you um it used to be that butter was bad right and now <laughs> I remember when are, eggs were bad right eggs used to be bad right butter was bad now people are putting butter in their coffee right. um you know eggs were bad now it's like hey eat as many eggs as you want um you know it used to be low fat everything had to be low fat and yeah. now we're finding out that fat is actually needed for brain health right right that you need fat to recover your, your muscles need it to recover better sure. like there's so many things that are opposite of what we knew 50 years ago. 
Um, well, as, and we are going to find in another 10 years that we're going to refine that even further. Because sure. tur- as it turns out, there's very likely, uh, not very likely, there's, there's certainly a genetic component mm-hmm. to what types of macronutrients, fats, proteins, carbs right. are best for individual folks. So there, there's right. a population of people that really shouldn't have that high fat, higher fat diet mm-hmm. um, that, that'll do much better with a more moderated Mediterranean type diet. There's others that just thrive on a ketogenic diet, something where there's almost no carbs, no simple carbs, and right. it's mostly you know, healthy proteins, healthy some, fats. Some, some protein and a ton of fat. Right, right, right. <laughs> right. Totally the opposite. Yeah, eat a stick of butter for breakfast. Yes. Right, right. <laughs> um, all right, so things have changed. Yeah. We know that. Um, has the education of what people, of how, let me go back, has the process of how people learn about what is good and what is not good for cardiovascular health changed? You know, sadly, in my opinion, not, not, not enough, not, okay. not anywhere near enough, including the process of educating we doctors, um, cardiologists, the American Heart Association. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a case in point, the 52-year-old, early 50s, uh, president of the American Heart Association a couple of years ago had a heart attack on the podium uh, at the introductory remarks to the annual meeting of the American Heart Association. This guy's a cardiologist. Um, You know, we are so focused on finding disease um, after it has caused a problem, angina, heart attack, stroke, Mm -hmm. and then treating somebody rather than um, deciding to look under the carpet to find out who's at risk and to manage those people, get them sure. out, of, out, uh, out of harm's way. So you're, you're talking about even beyond just identifying if someone's currently at risk for something, you're talking about maybe there's a way that we can, at any point in time in our life, say right. here's a process that we can follow to just give us our overall picture of yeah. are we at risk at any point based on what we're doing now based yeah. on i'm guessing genetics family history there's sure. all kinds of different things lifestyle stuff like that right? well i don't want to scare any of the listeners but yeah. you know there are some rather remarkable uh, and sometimes surprising things that play a role in whether somebody's at risk for having a heart attack or a stroke or even diabetes that i think most people haven't made the connection um there there are things as as crazy as having a, a diagonal crease at the bottom of your earlobes uh, called the <laughs> cardiac crease, believe it or not. Cardiac you look at your crease. earlobes. No, you're yeah. okay. You're I'm all good. right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, it's called Frank's sign uh, or the cardiac crease. Okay. And if you've got that diagonal crease at, at the bottom of your earlobe, um, you have about a threefold risk, increased risk of, of having cardiovascular disease. And there have been studies like that's Absolutely. That's based a- on genetics. Yeah, it's, Very it's connected to a genetic profile that increases risk. Believe it or not, God help us, temporal balding, you know, male pattern balding, yeah. that increases risk. Oh, uh, if you have, I've been <laughs> yeah, shaving, sorry, I've been shaving I'm so to sorry. Hide it. I shave my head to hide it. <laughs> Dang. Okay. Um, things like you know, common things that people get, like gout and kidney stones and gallstones. Right. People who have those things are at an elevated cardiac risk. So um, anybody listening to this, don't yeah. think you have that stuff and do no, it no, immediately no. to your doctor and say, "I'm going to have a heart attack." Uh, no, no, no. Um, it's just that you add all that together, um, you know, if you have any kind of chronic, probably the most important factor is having a chronic inflammatory disease. If you're someone, okay. you know, somebody who's been struggling with Crohn's or ulcerative colitis or rheumatoid arthritis or psoriasis, I mean, anything that causes 
chronic daily inflammation has the potential for that inflammation to affect your arteries and, okay. and cause plaque formation and, and and those folks should be at extra you know on an extra level of surveillance sure. to look for this stuff sure and in case we could have probably a whole another episode on pod, another podcast on yeah. just what is inflammation right um, oh, but yeah. for anybody listening that's not really sure what that is basically inflammation is your body overreacting right right there's something going on your body is saying it's 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 like a it's like a baby who's crying in bed but they don't know what they want right yeah. they're just screaming all the time that's what inflammation is there's a system there's a part of your body that's just kind of saying hey pay attention to me <laughs> absolutely and you know we're we're certainly well aware that inflammation we we are more aware every year about mm-hmm. different diseases that are that have a, as their underlying cause inflammation there was a major study um that was just done uh, probably within the past 6 months looking at treating people with atherosclerosis, heart coronary disease, um, cardiovascular disease, mm-hmm. with an anti-inflammatory medicine, something that they used to, for, for rheumatoid arthritis, okay. had nothing to do with cholesterol, blood sure. pressure. Sure. And in the people who got treated with this anti-inflammatory medicine, there was a, a significant reduction in the number of cardiovascular events. That's awesome. And that's, that's all we awesome. needed to kind of you know, prove yeah. what we've been saying for the past right. decade. So. so let's talk a little bit um, about two things the first thing let's go you mentioned all the different risk factors right do you know how many all of them off the top of your head do you have an idea of some things that we can just tell people hey just so you know to give the the, our listeners an idea of the things that they need to consider maybe the next time they go talk to their doctor maybe the next time they have an annual physical and say hey i was listening to this podcast this doctor was on there um, he sounded like he knew what he was talking about way more than Dr. Oz did. And he said that these are no some comment. things. No comment. Right? Um, and these are some things that um, could potentially be markers. Have you ever heard of this before? Maybe yeah. they can give you some more information or whatever. Just well, to, in, in case you have any listeners that are getting ready to either fall asleep or, or go turn the television on, um, the Cliff Notes version of this, uh, and I, you know, I'll shamelessly promote a book that I didn't write, but um, sort of the Bible that, that most of my patients are studying under now, mm-hmm. are studying from, is, is called Beat the Heart Attack Gene. Okay. Um, it's by a guy named, uh, a couple of docs named Bradley Bale and Amy Donin, D-O-N-E-E-N. Um, and it is uh, just a, a very easy to read book that outlines a lot of the stuff you just asked about um, and then talks about you know, unfortunately, what we in the medical profession aren't doing um, right. to take care of our patients in the most uh, in the most aggressive way possible sure. to provide them optimal care. But you know, I, um, certainly uh, the list I go through with my patients are the things we just talked about. Mm-hmm. Um, we look at waist circumference. If you're a guy and you're over 40 inches uh, around the biggest part of you, not your belt size. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you're a girl and you're over 35 inches, then you're at risk. If your blood pressure is anything. Um, uh, over normal and normal nowadays is only 130 over 80. They lowered the bar a few months ago, and I, okay. I think that's appropriate. Sure. If your sugar is at all elevated, um, your fasting blood sugar is is 100 or above. Um, tr- that, that's a huge risk. Um, if you um, are a couch potato, if you yeah. have a family history of coronary disease, heart attack, strokes, right. even dementia, um, because mm-hmm. most dementia is not Alzheimer's; it's it's microvascular dementia. Okay. Um, as certainly, if you're a guy over 45 or a woman over 55, those are risk factors that, right. that need to be taken Real quick, into account. Just to talk about the micro, microvascular yeah. dementia. Um, so I've been reading to mm-hmm. this book as well, and 
you know, I think we've talked about it in the past. Every, yeah. I feel like I can only get through a few pages at a time because there's so much information that I just have right. to process. Um, but it's so good. I don't want to stop. Yeah. Um, it's just enlightening and all the different things that are going on. Um, I didn't realize that dementia was a cardiovascular disease. Oh, yeah. Right? It's like little blood vessels in the brain breaking, right. causing brain damage. And that's what, I mean, it, it just blew no pun intended, it just blew my mind. <laughs> there are even uh, some researchers who, you know, people, I mean, most people have heard of type 1 diabetes, type 2 diabetes. Yeah. There are researchers that are calling dementia type 3 diabetes because we know how devastating diabetes is to the vascular system. And now we're beginning to realize how, how important it is in, um, in brain health. That's crazy. Uh, yeah. Awesome. Okay. So even sleep apnea. I mean, something like sleep. You know, people who are you know, spouse complains, complains that they snore like a chainsaw, or they stop breathing in the middle of the night. You wake mm -hmm. up tired, even though you've had a full night's sleep. A few folks with sleep apnea are at significantly increased risk, and even things like vitamin D deficiency can increase your risk. Um, you know, sadly, social eating. If you eat most of your meals out rather than cooking at home, the odds are um, well, you've got what you're getting there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, stress. You know, people who are divorced, people who uh, have changed jobs a fair amount, people whose spouses. So you're telling therapy. me you're just going down this list, right? And I'm sure yeah. you probably got a whole bunch more things. Right, right. You're telling me that when you have a patient come in, you go through this whole list with them and kind of say, "Is this you? Is this you? Is this you? Do you do this? Is yeah. this where you're at?" Well, I do. I mean, I, and I have the advantage of having sort of a different kind of medical practice okay. where I, I actually have the time to do that. Right. Um, but yeah, we go through all of that and come up with a, you know, a, a sense of you know, an algorithm of, of their risk. And then we start looking beyond that. You know, there are there, there's technology out there where we can actually find out if you've got plaque in your arteries mm -hmm. before it would ever cause you a problem. And mm -hmm. if we find that... We can quit all the questions. We know you got a problem, and we right. know you have you know, to right be to, right managed to more aggressively. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Um, all right. So that was, you know, the, some of the things that are, are are the risk. What are? So we talked about vascular, you know, the the micro, the vascular stuff in the brain for yeah. dementia. What are some other things that are cardiovascular diseases that may not? people may not think of as cardiovascular diseases? Well, certainly anybody who has got something called peripheral vascular disease where um, you know your, your calves hurt when you're walking up a hill, um, oh. st stop hurting when you sit down, okay. um, that could indicate uh, poor circulation to the legs. You know, that's part of the cardiovascular system. That's part mm -hmm. of getting blood from the heart Var out to the Varicose veins? No, no. different. Okay. Varicose veins are the venous system. We're talking about the arterial system. So okay. I'm glad, glad you asked that because that's totally different and, and not related. Um, kidney issues. If your doctor tells you your kidneys aren't functioning up to par, that's more often than not a vascular okay. issue. Um, people that have um, diabetic eye problems, they occur because of the uh, the arteries in the back of the eye. Okay. Um, so they're... they're there's a, there's a host of vascular issues that the people don't necessarily connect to, connect to their vascular. risk for a heart attack. Okay. Um, the, the one thing that surprised me, I think, the most reading the book mm -hmm. is the connection of the, the, the oral, the oral oh, connection. Yeah. The oral right? systemic connection. The oral connection. systemic connection, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, and taking care of your teeth and your, 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 the how, the how healthy your mouth is. Sure. And what that plays into. Can you talk about that a little bit? Because absolutely. Because I'm horrible. Yeah. <laughs> I got to be honest. I'm horrible. Uh -huh. I went to the dentist a, a couple months ago and got the first cleaning I think I've had in maybe 
12 years. Oh, that's terrible. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I think, yeah, at least. So, and they kind of looked at me like, how long has it been? You know, it took them a long time to clean my teeth. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it beca- and the only reason I did that was because I'm reading this book. Uh, and it's, I'm like, oh, crap, I got to go get my teeth cleaned. I'm going to have a heart attack, right? So, uh, yeah, well, talk about that a little bit. You know, I spend a fair amount of my, I mean, since I'm so passionate about this and this makes up a big part of my practice, mm-hmm. I spend a fair amount of my continuing med- medical education hours sitting in conferences on cardiovascular prevention. Nowadays, when I go to these conferences, believe it or not, half of the audience um, is made up of dental professionals, dental hygienists, mm. dentists, um, and it turns out that we have a, a mushrooming body of evidence connecting oral health, uh, gum health in particular, okay. um, to cardiovascular health. You know, they've done autopsies on people who have died of a heart attack, and in the plaque in your arteries, they find the same aggressive pathogens, bacteria, that they find in the plaque in your gums. In your gums. Um, so these things get in, I mean, and your gums are incredibly vascular. There's just lots sure. and lots of blood supply. Yeah, yeah. It's very easy for bacteria in the mouth to get into the bloodstream, and, and there's different flavors of bacteria, so to speak. There's really pathogenic, ugly, nasty bugs, <laughs> and then there's sort of the or- normal oral We're you know, flora and fauna. Today, yeah. <laughs> so different flavors uh, of bacteria. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> so um, these bacteria, if you're if you're not taking care of your teeth and gums, you know if you're if you're hygienist when they're doing the probing that when you go for your cleaning, if they if, and they're hollering out three two three two three two the the depth of your pockets yeah. um, between the gums and the teeth, if they call out fours fives or anything above that. That's a problem. Uh, if you have any bleeding when they're picking or when you're brushing your teeth, sure. for that matter, you've got gingivitis. Um, and that's something that needs to be addressed. You've likely got some of these pathogenic mm. bacteria. Um, when I'm evaluating somebody um, with, uh, with you know, subclinical vascular issues and I find one of these blood tests uh, that, that look for inflammation go up, one of the first things I look at is, is what's the oral health? Okay. Uh, are, they, you know, are they brushing twice a day, flossing, sure. water picking, sure. uh, rinsing, um, and, um, and is their dentist or, or dental provider looking carefully? There's right. even a spit test, a saliva test that can detect the DNA evidence of some of these pathogenic bacteria that okay. are associated with cardiovascular risk. So it is really, um, it's a whole new frontier. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So, I mean, the purpose of this episode was really to kind of just talk about what's changed in what we know about cardiovascular health, yeah. what some of the new risk factors are. Um, is there, is there a list? Is there somewhere where people can go and just kind of look at this outside of maybe buying the book? Is there a website that would just have a short kind of summary of this or? Well, you know, I'm not available. I mean, I'm not aware of uh, anything available, um, that, that puts that all together in that fashion. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I'd have to say, um, maybe getting on the Bale Donin website, okay. um, to, as a start. Sure. Uh, I mean, really all you have to do is Google causes of cardiovascular disease and uh, you'll come up with a fair number of these things um, but I, again you know unfortunately traditional medicine has not caught up with this yet yeah so most physicians most cardiologists I hate to say that um, are just not a, at this aggressive level of early right. detection monitoring for inflammation and, and and doing prevention but you know interestingly all this sophisticated stuff aside it turns out that if you simply didn't smoke 
exercised for 150 minutes a week, kept your waistline uh, at a reasonable level, and um, made sure that your blood pressure and your sugar were normal, you'd avoid 80% of the stuff that of we've just been talking about. Okay. Yeah, so okay. It's, uh, it's not necessarily... That's all you got to do. Nothing, nothing wrong with that, right? <laughs> yeah. Pretty simple. Everybody hearing this, all you got to do is that. That's it. That's it. That's yeah. it. Um, okay. So it sounds like the Bail and Deneen website would be the best place to start if someone's interested in getting more information about this, maybe buying the book um, and kind of just getting that, that real good education. Um, if anybody's interested in the book, I'll tell you, I'm not a doctor, right? Um, I'm reading the book uh, mostly through it, and 99% of the stuff I actually can understand. There really isn't <laughs> stuff in there that's so over your head. It's not like it's written for doctors. Right. Um, it's written for people to know what's going on and what their doctors may not know. Um, so if someone is interested, what's the first thing that they should do? Um, go to their doctor and say, hey, I want to do this, I want to do that. How do we check? Yeah, I mean, uh, I, it, you have to, in order to be an informed consumer, and, I, and boy, I hate to keep pushing the book because it yeah. sounds like I'm selling something and I have <laughs> no interest in it. Um, well, it's but, the only place that I've ever heard any of this stuff. Yeah, so. yeah. Uh, you know, uh, this information is out there in bits and pieces all right. over the all over the internet. Uh, I mean, it's certainly th th this book puts it all together in one place. Though, I, you know, my best advice is read the book if you're really concerned about this stuff, and right. then you go to your doctor as an informed consumer and say, you know, can can we do some of these tests? To, you know, is this something you have access to? Right. Can you tell me how to to get involved in this? I mean, there and there's even some simple stuff. You know. I've, I hate to say it, but um, you know most of my colleagues in the medical profession, and certainly the American Heart Association, American Card of College of Cardiology, they're basing people's preventive treatment on their LDL cholesterol. I think everybody's sure. heard of LDL, the sure. bad stuff. There are not studies that actually sure, prove that, that LDL anything. cholesterol has anything to do with your risk. So let's talk about that. It's the yeah. stuff that currently happens, right? So things that I've learned over the past several months that mm -hmm. it's not a cholesterol issue. It, well, so it, it from that from that yeah, perspective, from that perspective which, from right. like it's not an LDL cholesterol. Uh, it's not an LDL, yeah. um, and that it's not a plumbing issue, right? Well, it's not that there's a buildup of plaque. It's that there's. Uh, it's not like you're. It's uh, not like you need to to you have a heart attack because there's um, been a buildup and over right. time, like right. your like your like your your. Your, your sink has just built up stuff over time and then finally it just closes. Right. It's that there's a, there's a buildup of this stuff in the lining of your, sure. of your, your, artery. your arteries. And then it's, for lack of a better description, it's like a big zit in your artery that pops. <laughs> exactly. And then that's what happens. So it's not yeah. like there's, people have this idea of, oh, I need a stint, right? Right. So, oh, I'm, you know, I need a stint. And then how many times have we heard the story of someone goes in, they get a stint, they're all better, and then they walk out and have a heart attack in the sure. parking lot, yeah, right? So because it, yeah. it's not. <laughs> it's absolutely run the mark. So it turns out that the people who need stents, the people who have that buildup, that gradual buildup of cholesterol mm -hmm. that eventually blocks blood flow, they're the lucky ones because they get shorter breath walking up the steps or they get chest 
pressure. They see it coming. Pain. They, yeah, they get some symptoms as that blood flow d gradually diminishes to the heart muscle um, with, with activity. The folk, it turns out that the majority of heart attacks happen in, in plaques in your, your arteries that are not blocking blood flow. That, As you said, just get inflamed, pop like a zit. Your, your, your bloodstream thinks you've cut yourself when it sees the breach in your artery wall. Right. goes to seal the breach with a, a, a blood clot, and that blood clot's what blocks the flow of blood. Um, so yeah, it's um, you know finding these little plaques before they become symptomatic is is pretty crucial. In, ter in terms of the cholesterol story, it, certainly cholesterol has something to do with with plaque formation and mm -hmm. heart disease. Yep. But your LDL, that number that all the uh, that, that all my whole profession looks at, it's not connected. What is connected is when we look further and find out. You know, my favorite analogy is when we measure LDL, we're pretty much telling you how many quarts of bad stuff you've got in your system. We want to look inside that quart jar and count the jelly beans. And it's how many LDL particles you have. Uh, LDL particle, appropriately enough, is the name for that test. APOB okay. is another name for that test. That number is, is what's associated. But if you don't have a provider who's, you know, pr necessarily comfortable with with those kind of tests there's a really simple sure. thing your 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 listeners can do take your total cholesterol subtract the hdl um you're taking away the good stuff from the total um, total cholesterol minus HDL equals non-HDL cholesterol. Basically, that's all the bad stuff. And if your number's over 130, you should go talk to your doctor about whether you need to do anything about that because okay. that's certainly a risk factor. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Um, two things, and this is one thing that we, I know we've talked about in the past, um, and that is when someone talks about being obese. Right. Um, Nine times out of ten, you hear the phrase BMI. Right. And is that something that you look at when you, you know, when you look at these evaluations? Now, you talk about, you do talk about waist circumference. Right. Are there any studies out there? And I think we've kind of talked, we Googled some stuff and we looked for some things. We maybe found one yeah. or two, not doing a real in-depth, you know, right. research on body fat percentage versus BMI or waist circumference. Sure. So there, it, it, it's, a, it's a very important uh, distinction because BMI or body mass index is, is just a calculation based on your weight and height. Mm -hmm. So I certainly have quite a few of my patients who are CrossFitters or weightlifters, bodybuilders, and they come in, uh, you know, they're maybe five foot ten and 200 pounds. Um, and if you look at the life tables, you know, the insurance life insurance tables they're overweight yeah or maybe obese i've been denied life insurance or health no health insurance and life both actually yeah because i'm overweight right right so i'm six <laughs> foot at the time i was like 215 or something yeah. Yeah. and you know even in the military right. in the military and i was in the army you know i was mm -hmm. 205 200 pounds and for my height i was supposed to be 195 otherwise i was considered overweight yeah so i used to get body fat tested all the time and all this kind of stuff and i'm like guys <laughs> my body fat percentage is like under 15 like come on here you know let's let's go oh, yeah. um but yeah it 
Yeah, one of my patients uh, has a BMI that would put him almost in the in the stage one obesity category. Mm-hmm. He's got seven percent body fat, <laughs> and um, the guy is healthy as he uh, as he could possibly yep. be. Yep. Uh, so uh, BMI is misleading for sure. Um, waist circumference is a better measurement, but you know if you have the ability to get your body fat percentage measured, there's a sure. there's scales out there that can do that. There are other mm-hmm. techniques that can do that. It turns out that that's a much better assessment of 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 whether your weight is is going to play a role in your right because it's body composition it's not just how much you weigh it's actually i mean and primarily it's it's abdominal adiposity it's the fat that is around your middle that's actually inside your abdominal cavity surrounding your organs so Um, so we call we call that trunk fat trunk fat right that's that's the visceral uh, fat that's around your all the organs inside. And sure. Yeah, I call yeah. it the poison factory. The that's, poison factory. Yeah, that's, that's where the magic <laughs> happens to uh, cause all these other metabolic things that causes you to be diabetic or pre-diabetic, wow. that causes inflammation in sure. your system. I mean, just sure. amazing. And even if someone's trying to picture what we're talking about with, you know, someone being high BMI, but still be, but not be, not be fat. Right. Um, you know, if you can, if you consider somebody who has a large midsection, right, they may be 5'10", 200 pounds and they have a 40 inch waist right right versus someone who is 510 200 pounds and they have a 36 inch waist or a 34 inch waist because they're in shape yep. right obviously there's a difference in the amount of muscle that person has sure. the, the amount of fat that both of them have um and that's what we're talking about the weight and the height may be exactly the same but because of the composition of how much fat to muscle ratio there is that just kind of shows that that difference right. in health exactly yeah so, okay yeah. Um, all right. So I think this is all, all kinds of information. Um, people might have to listen to this thing a couple of times to kind of get all the stuff we're talking about. Um, do you have anything that, uh, maybe let's say your top three or five things to do, regardless of what you may or may not have as current risk factors. Sure. We talked about exercising 150 minutes a week. Was it a, a week per week per right. week? Um, not being sedentary. What are some suggestions? Like what kind of exercise? Be active 150, you know, minutes a week. Is that just go yeah. for a walk for so, 30 minutes a day? Is that being actually something where you're going to get your heart rate up, lifting weights, running, bike? Like what is that? What so is that? something that, you know, should be accessible. Hope, I mean, for, for people who aren't significantly disabled if if what you can do is walk then that's that's fine walk for 30 minutes at a at a uh, as brisk a pace as you can sure. manage five times a week and you've got it um, we also recommend at least two days a week of some strength training if you're talking about the absolute most beneficial uh, exercise it would in, it would involve five days a week of of hit of high intensity interval training mm-hmm. where you you know you go until you can't go anymore for 30 to 60 seconds, give yourself a couple of minute rest, hit it again. You go through four cycles of that and, and you've done maybe 20, 22 minutes of, of cardio and you've gotten a, a tremendous uh, workout that will keep burning fat for hours after you get off the treadmill right. or off the street right. or the bike or whatever you've done. And then, it, and then two or three days of, of strength training in there. That's, that's the, all the exercise that you need. And granted, it's probably more than most people are doing, but sure. um, that's, that's you know, one of the, the cornerstones of, uh, of you know, staying healthy past the age of 40. Certainly another one is being proud of what you put in your mouth. Mm-hmm. You know, eating as clean as you can, um, trying. I love that phrase. Ah. <laughs> because so many people are ashamed. 
They know it in their head. Right. Right. When you talk to someone, oh, what'd you have for dinner? And, oh, I just had blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and they don't really want to tell you or they tell you and then they justify it because they know that yeah. they, they're not proud of what they just put in their mouth. Oh, yeah. I, I you know, people ask me all the time about, well, what, what should I eat? What's a good diet? And if I'm, if I'm rushed for time, um, the easiest thing to tell people is eat real food, mostly vegetables and protein mm-hmm. and not too much. That's it. Period. So, okay. you know, get stuff that only has one, one ingredient at the grocery store. Yep. Shop the perimeter. Everybody's heard that. Yeah. Um, make sure that you're, you're filling up on lean protein and plenty of vegetables, yep. some fruits, um, good fats. Sure. Um, and you know, be reasonable. Don't, don't eat more than you actually need. need or, or, you know, what people tend to do in this country is finish their plate. And way too often, there's twice as much food on your plate as you need to have. Sometimes uh, more. Sometimes more. <laughs> and then they get dessert. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, you know, that's, that's the diet part. Um, what I'm afraid most of us in this culture aren't paying any attention to is stress management. And that's it turns huge. out that... That's huge. Yeah. Being, being under significant stress is, is the equivalent of smoking a pack of cigarettes a day. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, any of these meditation apps that you can put on your smartphone are a mm-hmm. great idea. Just mm-hmm. taking 10 minutes once or twice a day to just stop what you're doing, right. put yourself away in a quiet room. Turn all your electronics off yeah, before you go yeah. to bed, right? Give yourself that time to... Exactly. ...to, to settle down. Okay. Yeah. And um, uh, I guess those are the those are the main issues: keeping your weight where it's close to where it's supposed to be, yeah. getting some, just staying moving, you know, being proud of what you eat, and managing stress. Those are the sure. cornerstones. All of those things are going to play into reduction of all the other risk factors, right. right? It's not well, I'm working out, so I shouldn't have a heart attack. It's I'm working out in such a way, and then people need to, you, everybody needs to understand that you need to have some way to track what the progress is, right? right? So. You know, once you, you get an idea of, oh, I'm overweight, I have my body fat percentage is this number, whatever, whatever risk factors you've identified, you need to have a way to, as you start to do things to make those better, to go back and evaluate those risk factors again to see if you still have yeah. them or if they've improved, like whatever that sure. is. So there needs to be a cycle. It's not just a, I went to the doctor, I have all these problems, I'm going to start working on them, right. and I'll wait till my next annual physical. Oh, no, no. Right, to figure out if it got better, right? Yeah. There needs to be a recurring active campaign to kind of go through and make sure that these things are getting taken care of. Well, sure. And, I, you know, to plug my own profession, despite the fact that it seems like I've been dissing it for <laughs> the past 40 minutes, um, you know, if you are found to have vascular disease, if you've got subclinical atherosclerosis, or if you've got insulin resistance or prediabetes, um, it's really crucial. I mean, we talked a lot about lifestyle, and that really is, you know, one of the, the, the main ways to approach this. But, boy, we certainly have some uh, amazing medicines that we can use to keep people out of trouble to prevent their heart disease. You know, things like the statin medicines and ACE inhibitors and, and low-dose aspirin. Um, if you've got issues, you know, you should be treated with those things and you should be followed up to make sure that they're working. Sure. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of responsibility for the patient and the doctor. Right. And, um, not, and even on those things, that doesn't mean you don't try to do the other stuff. No, no, you can't, right? it's you a can't combination. medicate around poor lifestyle. Right. It's a combination yeah. of both of those things. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Okay. You got anything else to add? I no, think I, I think we covered yeah. a lot of stuff. <laughs> we like have. I said, people might have to listen to this a couple times to get all the info. Absolutely. But uh, I appreciate your time. And, uh, you know, maybe we get some feedback off of this. We can follow up with some other stuff and talk about maybe inflammation or something like all that. Right. Sounds very good. Thanks that. for talking with me.
This has been another episode of the Over What Hill 40 Plus podcast. Remember that life is the hill. Keep climbing. Keep growing. Every hill leads to another. You will get better. You can do this.